couple of weeks ago, I asked you to write down a word that epitomized your family at this particular stage in your life. And many of us probably thought of or wrote down a variety of words, a variety of things. I told you that the one word that epitomizes my family is toys. Uh, that, that's it. Uh, and it still does. After a couple of weeks in this series, uh, it, it still does. We, we still have toys everywhere. And that's, that's probably going to continue. We are, of course, uh, we have three children. We have another one on the way. And so our, our time with toys is, is just really uh, it, hitting its prime. You know, that's just where we are right now. And uh, this morning, I want you to think, and, and you don't have to write down, and I certainly won't ask you to call these out, but I want you to think, not in terms of what epitomizes your family, but, but if you were to take a survey and you were to be required to answer in, in maybe a sentence or a few words or a list or something like that, what would you say is, is the ideal man? I wonder what you would write. I wonder what your response would be. Now, some of you who are sitting next to the ideal man this morning, of course, you would just simply write their name. You may be married to the ideal man. I'm trying, trying to give you benefit of the doubt this morning, fellas. I'm trying to help you out. We're getting laughter, but it's almost as if they're laughing at us, guys, not, not with us, you know. But you, you may feel like you are the ideal man. You say, you know what, you look up ideal man in the dictionary and guess who's going to be there? I'll be standing right there. You know, I mean, that's maybe the way you think. You know a few people like that. But, but what would it be, I, I, if you were to honestly think about what is the ideal man, what are the characteristics of the ideal man? I mean, we probably would come up with a variety of things. If I ask you to, to write down not your definition, but in a sense society's definition of the ideal or perfect man, I wonder if they would be the same. I, I wonder if they would be different. And then if I were to ask you, Write down what you know and believe to be true that God would say is the ideal man. I wonder on those three lists, how much congruency, how much similarity would you see? I would imagine that since we're all in church today, we would probably list some virtuous aspects of what we think the ideal man is and should be. But if we're honest and truthful, and if our lives were laid bare before the Lord and each other this morning, we would probably, in all honesty, have to say that much of what we think probably aligns more with what society has taught us than what God has taught us. The flow of society is very quick, very rapid, and very strong. The flow of God is equally as strong, but we are much more inclined, based upon that old sinful nature, to follow what society says than what God says, unfortunately. So if you think about those three lists, let me give you some of what society says about the ideal man. Now, I did an internet search. And I just typed in qualities of the ideal man. And it was interesting, to say the least. Um, I, I got everything from, um, from quizzes. Are you the ideal man? And you can take a quiz and find out. Now, I didn't want to know. I, I just, I'll be honest with you, I didn't take any of the quizzes. I didn't want to be disappointed. I didn't want my wife to find out I'm not the ideal man. I, you know, I didn't want that. I want my kids to find uh, quizzes on that, or, or how to find the ideal man. You know, for the ladies, that was, there were quizzes on there. You could just check off the boxes, and it would tell you, uh, you know, you're, you're, near, you're married to or dating, or, or so really far from the ideal man, I don't know. But uh, then I found, I found everything from quizzes to advertisements for mail-order husbands. You know, if you don't have the ideal man close to you, just call one in. You know, I mean, that's just, I guess so. Just send for one, and they'll come, and here they are, and the ideal, you know. 
here's what I found. Just just listen to this. So these are on different websites, and and websites not that are obscure, but websites that people read based upon magazines and different things like that. Uh, one website list. Here are the characteristics of the ideal man. He's honest. He's confident. He's strong, both physically and otherwise, emotionally, mentally, and so on. He takes charge and takes control of his life. He is fearless. He knows who he is and what's, what he wants. He's a leader. That's the ideal man. Another one said, a real man is strong, focused, knows the importance of family, doesn't gossip. His word is his bond. He strives to be a role model. He makes his own fortune. He doesn't look, one sense, doesn't look like a woman. I thought, well, okay, that's interesting. I tell you, you get all kinds of mixed messages. He keeps his house in order, literally. He keeps the house clean. He can defend himself, physically and otherwise. UrbanDictionary.com says a real man is rugged, has no fear. He knows about tools, cars, and outdoors. Now, when I got to that part, I just stopped. I'm like, well, I, I'm not a... I, I just, yeah, if I'm going to preach a sermon on a real man and that's what it is, I, we just, let's close in prayer right now and pray that God would, would in, impose on me knowledge about tools, cars, and outdoors. I got none of that. I just, he's a gentleman. Hank and I, my son, we talk a lot about being a gentleman. He's five years old. I'm trying to teach him what some of that means and interesting conversations we have. Um, UrbanDictionary.com continues, a real man is not always serious, can have some fun. He's a financial provider. He's responsible. He's clean. It means he showers. Um, he, he's well, this is interesting, he's well-groomed, but, but he has a short beard to display his ruggedness. How about that? So, you have to be clean, so shower, but shave, but not all the way. You know, just, kind of, I, I, how do you do that? Anyway, let it grow for a day or two, and, you know, whatever. It, that's all about being rugged. He does not think only about himself. He stands up, though, for what he believes. He takes responsibility for his actions. He helps others. He is self-confident. He's physically strong and in great shape. He has a sense of humor. He's generous, and he is honest. That's a list of about 20 things right there. I mean, good grief. How to be a real man. Here's another, here's another website. Treat women with respect. Keep yourself, here it goes again, well-groomed and physically fit. I'm assuming with a short beard to display your ruggedness. Make your own fortune. Stay true to your word. Show your emotions. And then finally, help with housework. How to be a real man? Hey, get the broom out. You know, I mean, that's, it is amazing. I, you look at that, and I just, I, I could list probably five or six different pages worth of stuff on what I found. And this is just a summary of what, what it means to be a real man. What's the ideal man look like and talk like? And, and even one website talked about the tone of your voice and your handshake. It means that your firm handshake means you're a real man and all that. You know, and it's just amazing. You know, as I said, it produced everything from quizzes to mail-order husbands to lists like this. And all that to say that our society really has defined uh, for us in a, long, a lot of ways what, what we now believe is the sign and the mark of a real man. And it includes things like being a provider, a performer in all areas of life, a protector. Includes being a, a hopeless romantic, being skilled at lots of different things, sort of that jack of all trades. It means being great looking and in perfect shape, being the right age, whatever that may be, having lots of money, being impressive in all that you do, being incredibly smart and wise, and really being an expert in everything. We get also lots of mixed messages 
from all around. You watch television, you watch commercials, whatever it may be, and they will impose upon you what the ideal man is to be. One of the things, and I will not go off on a tangent here, but I would challenge you this week, as you, as you entertain media sources, whatever they may, may be, I believe the Christian responsibility toward that is not simply to avoid those as if they don't exist. That's next to impossible. But it is to be discerning about what you take in and what messages are being sent. Let me give you a case in point. There are commercials right now on ESPN Radio, which is about all I listen to. That's it. I listen to talk radio. I'm sort of boring when it comes to that. But there is a guy who plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers whose name is Troy Palomalu. He has really nice, long, flowing hair. I'm sort of envious, but I'll leave that for another day. But the commercial is for head and shoulders. And they say that you will get fuller, thicker-looking hair in one week, and your hair, I guess in a sense, will look like Troy Palomalu's hair. And then it says, versus unwashed hair. Now, there are some really, really not discerning people who will say, well, I need to go buy that. I'll get thicker, fuller-looking hair. No, just wash your hair. You know, it's versus unwashed hair. They say, you know, it won't be all matted down, I guess. We have to be, and I say that in jest, but we have to be discerning about what society is giving to us as messages. And I say this to men and to women both about the messages society brings to us about what men are to be. You watch shows, you watch commercials, you, you, whatever it may be, the television will try to impose upon you a model of what the ideal man is. Some of you get mixed messages that way. Others have gotten mixed messages. You've gotten messages from your dad, good or bad or otherwise. Some of you had a dad who was all of these things, you thought, and now you're trying to live up to that. Some of you had a dad who was none of these things. You're trying to make up for it. Some of you had a dad who, who sort of literally and figuratively beat you down, and now you, you, you're trying to overcome all of that. Some of us have gotten mixed messages from dad and parents and so on. We get mixed messages from the church. It's, it's no lie that most guys don't like coming to church. They just don't like coming. Why? Because oftentimes church takes on a tone that seems to be geared for women. Now, I don't say that in a chauvinistic or feministic kind of way. Either way, it's just the way that things have been over the last 50 years is that guys typically don't like coming to church. Not only that, but the messages you hear, think of all the Father's Day messages you've heard. And you, you drag your husband, your dad, or whomever here, and the, the pastor stands up, and he's got one shot at all those guys that never come to church, and I'm going to get them. And what does he do? Bam! Right upside the head. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't every once in a while get hit upside the head with the Scripture. Listen, you read the Scripture, it's going to punch you in the mouth from time to time. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? But that's not the role of the church is to simply beat down and beat up men for all that we think they're not doing. You get mixed messages from the church. You get it from TV, you get it from dad, from parents, from everyone, from the church. You get it from your wife. If you're a married man, you, you have subtly or explicitly heard from your wife what she expects from you as her husband, as the man of the home. Sometimes that's really encouraging, sometimes it's helpful, and sometimes, of course, it's not. If you read magazines, men's magazines, or, or just news magazines in general, you will get mixed messages on what does it mean to be a man? What is your role? What is your responsibility? You are born probably, or at least in your environment, are created with and, and built into just general, also general assumptions about what it means to be a man. Uh, your assumptions probably have something to do with this knowledge and, and, and being a financial provider and, and having a short beard to display your ruggedness. Those are probably some of your assumptions. That 
we, we have those things. Some of you have heroes. Some of you have heroes and you think, that's the man right there that I need to be. And those heroes are most likely are somebody like a combination for me. It's like a combination of Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and John Wayne and my grandfather and some other people like that. They sort of all together and I've got this, this. That's my goal. That's what I'm shooting for. And most of those um, are fictional characters. We, we also get mixed messages just from the people around us who taught us one thing or another. The, the mixed messages, the thoughts of the ideal man from society, really create pressure on all sides for men. Um, obviously, being a man, I, I, I can relate to that in particular. If you've been around men for very long, you hopefully have recognized there is a tremendous amount of pressure from all sides, tremendous amount of mixed messages. Men seemingly are, are forced to sort of make it up as you go. Uh, it's interesting because I'm now 33. I have three children and one on the way. I'm a pastor of a church. And in all of that, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just admit it to you. I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, you get one year to figure out what it means to act your age, and then you turn a year older and you've got to learn it all over again. You get one shot at having kids when they're young, and by the time you've figured all that stuff out, they're teenagers, and you don't have a clue what you're doing there again anyway. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, and then they, then they grow up and they maybe go off to college or get married or move away or whatever, and then you get to figure out what does life mean as an empty nester. Fellas, a lot of it is we just feel like we're making it up as we go along. Then you hit senior adulthood, and you experience things that you sort of thought were only for your grandfather when you were young, and you know, I'll never get there, never experience that. It is a difficult thing to be a man. We wing it. We make it up. There are a lot of pressures. My own life as a man and as a pastor, it's interesting. I spent Friday on the campus of Southern Seminary in Louisville. And uh, with some other uh, some folks that were prospective students there and so on, looking into some different uh, education options, whatever. And, uh, and, and it's interesting, uh, the pressure, subtle pressure that comes with being around those kinds of people. I admitted to our Sunday school class a week or two ago that as the pastor of the church, honestly, I feel as if I should read the New Testament at least once a day. Um, I, I should get all the way through it. I should spend probably at least 10 or 12 hours in prayer not to mention another 10 or 12 in, in silent meditation before the Lord, and then, and then another 10 or 12 each day witnessing for the Lord and winning people to Jesus left and right, and then at least another 10 to 12 hours a day uh, in sermon preparation uh, and visitation and praying for folks and all that. You, you see, I say that because that's just my world, but you have those pressures as well. You have those roles and expectations that never seem to go away. And well, I tell you what, when we live our lives and set our goals according to what society or our assumptions lead us to do, we end up with a lot of men that are probably very typical of the men that are here today who are frustrated, who are overworked, dissatisfied in general with life, depressed, overwhelmed, angry, hiding our true selves, maybe hiding our sin. We're broken and we're confused. Now, guys, I'll admit that on our behalf because those characteristics I find often in my life and yet, the pressures of society say that you can't really acknowledge those things. You can't do anything about them. Men are often told you're simply not needed. You look at the trend in our society today, men are characterized as being sort of out of it, 
disengaged goofballs. You watch television shows, sitcoms, and so on. You pay attention to how they picture men. They're not needed. They're disengaged. They're just useless, often in those shows. That's what we're told. It's difficult to know, obviously, what it means to be a man. Now, this is obviously not just in the minds of men, but also in women. And I think that everything that we've been taught by society has to be deconstructed. And we have to then build on not what society says, but on a biblical foundation for what does it mean to be a man. We need a new scoreboard. We need a new way to count the scores, so to speak. We need a new model. We need a new ideal. We need the biblical standard. I'll be honest with you, I really believe that the standards of society are way too low anyway. To be a real man means having a firm handshake and cleaning the house. It means having a rugged beard. Are you kidding? That's what it means to, to be a real man. Anybody can do that. Our standards, I believe, are way too low. Now this morning, as we move quickly in just a second through what we'll talk about, I want you to understand that I'm not just talking to men today. Ladies, you say, well, you know, I guess I can take the day off. Um, He's really not talking to me today. I'm not talking to any man of any particular age. I'm talking to all of us here today because here's why. Each one of us are directly affected, whether it's through who we are or who we're around, by the men in our lives. If you are a married man today, much of this will be obviously and directly applicable to you without a whole lot of explanation. If you are an unmarried man today, maybe a single guy who's here, This is the type of man we'll look at that you want to begin now to prepare to become so that when you do at some point enter, hopefully, a marriage, you will be that ideal man God has designed you to be. Ladies, if you are here today, you have men in your life, maybe you're married to one, and you'd say, you know what, not because it would benefit me, but because I want my guy, my dad, my husband, my brother, my son, whomever, to be the ideal man that God has designed them to be. I want you to set your sights on these things and pray toward that end for the guys in your life. You pray toward that end for your husband, for your dad, for your sons, your brothers, whomever it may be. And if you're a single lady today, you're not yet married, I want you to be challenged and to receive the challenge to settle for nothing less than the man that we'll see depicted today in the Scripture. Nothing less. And so today it's all for for all of us. And Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at family. What does it mean to follow God's plan? How do we become building blocks for a Christian family? And this passage we've seen is in Ephesians 5. So if you've got your Bible open, please turn with me to Ephesians 5. And let's look quickly this morning at what does it mean to be a man. We've seen what society says. We have analyzed that to an extent. What does God have to say? The passage that we'll see this morning, I'll be honest with you, can be very confusing. It's often misinterpreted, misapplied. And we'll look at that over the next couple of weeks. The way we're going to approach this is as we see this passage, which has direct application for marriages, for parenting, and so on, we're going to look at the individuals in a marriage, the man, the woman. We'll see the woman next week. We'll look at at marriage together, both the vertical relationship that we have with God that is a foundation for our marriages, and the horizontal relationship between husband and wife. We'll look at what it means to be a Christian godly parent and what it means then to be a Christian and godly uh, child, young person. And so that's what we'll look at over the next several weeks. And this morning we focus obviously on men. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, the wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. This morning, as I said, I want to focus on the men that are represented in this passage. And you see the example for the men here in these verses. The example is not society. The example is Jesus Christ himself. It doesn't say that, that husbands are to love their wives as they've been taught to do by their dads and passed down through generations, or as they, they kind of figure out as they go along, or as they listen to a mixed message from whomever. It says you are to love your wife as, as Christ has loved the church. And, and it goes on to further equate the example that men are to follow with that, of course, of Jesus Christ. Now, by contrast, uh, we, we see the other side of that would be looking at and comparing ourselves to the societal pressure and so on. Now, today's principle that we'll, that we'll unpack, I want you to note also that there's, if you flip on the back of your bulletin, there's a typo, and it says real mean. It's just a lesson, and don't get in a hurry when you're typing out the outline for the bulletin. Um, it's, it's not anything of Freudian slip, I suppose, but it should say real men. Here's today's guiding principle. Real men measure themselves by the standards and example of Jesus. Real men measure themselves by the standards and example of Jesus. Again, the, the example here, the, the ideal that is set before us is that of Jesus Christ, not, by contrast, each other. We don't measure ourselves, well, am I better than this guy or that guy, or is my husband more godly than this man or that man or whomever? Or, well, if I'm a single lady, I, you know, hey, I, well, he's, he's not as bad as these other guys are. No, the, the measure of a real man is that by the standards and example of Jesus, not by society, not by each other, certainly not by money, not by what we do for a living, not by what we look like, not by how athletic or smart we are, not by where we live, what we drive, or even by the lives of our wives and children. We are measured and are to measure ourselves only by the standards and example of Jesus Christ. Now, what are those things? Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5 again, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. The standards of, of real uh, manhood, according to Jesus Christ, his example, first of all, includes love. It first of all includes love. And when we say that, again, here's, here's some of the reason why men don't like coming to church, because we think we have to get all mushy and sappy, and, well, i got to act like I'm not, you know, who I really am, and so on. Now, when, when I say this, this is the example. This is not love as it's defined by society, but love, it says, as Christ's love. Now, if you look at His love, you're going to see a couple of things. In Matthew chapter 9, I, I want to draw your attention um, I believe it's chapter. Yeah, chapter 9, verse 35. 
It says, Then Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You see, the love of Jesus, he says, he walks up to the crowds and he felt compassion. If you want to write a bullet point or something underneath the word love, part of the love of Jesus was emotional. He felt. He had emotion based upon what he saw going on in the world. I think we have the misnomer that we either have to fake our emotions as guys, or we have to be completely stoic, that proverbial rock of Gibraltar. And we can't show any emotion because, well, that means I'm weak and I'm not that rugged, halfway bearded guy that everybody's going to look up to. I'm not the Marlboro man or the, the brawny paper towel man or John Wayne or whomever. I'm, you know, that, we look at those guys and we see that they had no emotion whatsoever. Jesus had emotion. Now, he was not overly emotional in the sense that he was faking and making it up and trying to be someone he was not. But when he came upon the crowds and he saw their need, it says he felt compassion. So guys, I say to you, don't fake it. Don't fake your emotions. But don't stuff them and hide them either. Jesus was a man of great emotion. So love, according to Jesus, was emotional. But not only that, it, it produced actions. If you're writing another bullet point under there, you can write emotion and then action underneath it. It says in, in chapter 10, after he's had compassion on the, the crowds in, in Matthew chapter 10, he summons his 12 disciples, gives them authority over unclean spirits, driving out demons and so on, and he sends them out to go take care of the needs. Jesus did not stop with just feeling compassion. He acted. And I'll say this, that even in times when we don't feel like acting, like loving, Jesus makes it very clear that emotions do not dictate our obligation and responsibility to love. Certainly Jesus emotionally would not have wanted to endure the pain, physical pain of the cross. And yet he says to God, if that's the way it needs to be, then so be it. I will choose to love sinners even though I probably don't feel like going through all of that. The love of Jesus as our example, as our standard, is based on emotion, but more than that, based on action. So as a man, as a person who may be in a marriage, who may not be, you are to be marked by love, both emotional response and more than that, and surpassing that, even when the emotion is not there, by a series of choices that, pr that prompt you to action and action-oriented love. The standard example of Jesus is love. Not only that, but it is sacrifice. In, in, in Ephesians, again, chapter 5, if you've got your place there, he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church. And what? Gave himself for her. Sacrifice. In John chapter 13, there's an incredible story. Write down the reference and go study it. John chapter 13, Jesus enters the, the upper room with his disciples for their last meal together. It's, it says, on the night he was to be betrayed, so it's the Thursday night before the Friday morning crucifixion, Jesus, it says, knowing what was going to happen and having all power from God to do whatever he wanted to do, which means that he could change it if he wanted to, it says he took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, got on his knees, and washed the disciples' feet. The sacrifice of Jesus, if you want to write a couple of things underneath it, was modeled through humility. He takes, it says in Philippians chapter 2, he took the form of a servant. He emptied himself 
pouring himself out for people who did not deserve it. And it says on the night in John 13, the night he was going to be betrayed, you realize that on that night, Judas, whose feet were washed, Peter, whose feet were washed, all the disciples whose feet were washed were either, would either betray him, deny him, or run away. And yet he sacrificed in humility for people who would not respond to him in the same way. The example of Jesus as a real man involved love, which was emotional. It involved love, which was action-oriented, but it also involved sacrifice, which was first and foremost based upon humility. These things that I read to you earlier, few of those that society likes to define as the ideal man have anything to do with humility, with not thinking of yourself above everybody else, with not pursuing your own ends, with not being all about you. But Jesus demonstrated that humility is built into that life of sacrifice. Not only that, but humility is joined with intentionality. You can be the most humble person in the world, but if you're not intentional about sacrifice, it won't make any difference. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, as the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. In Matthew chapter 26, there's this, this scene right after the Garden of Gethsemane uh, prayer that Jesus prays, and all the, the chief priests and Judas, and they all come, and, and, and Peter takes out his sword, if you remember this story, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, trying to save Jesus from what's going to happen, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, don't you think that if I wanted to, I could stop all of this? Don't you think that I could call legions, he says, of angels down, and they could pretty well wipe out all these guys that are standing here just like that? The sacrifice of Jesus was not by accident. He wasn't a victim. He wasn't someone who just got caught up in the circumstances and the crowd sort of overwhelmed him and he didn't know what to do. He willingly and intentionally went to the cross for each one of us. It was no accident. It wasn't as if he just couldn't help it. He made a choice. He was intentional about his sacrifice. He could have chosen not to. He could have called angels down to wipe out all of his enemies and yet intentionally and sacrificially he chose to go to the cross. You want to be a real man. You want to have real men in your life. They must be about love. They must be about sacrifice, both humility and intentionality being involved there. Sacrifice is not easy. Sacrifice involves giving up something that I want to do something that someone else might benefit from, and in that I may receive nothing. But I'm intentional about it. Jesus says, yeah, I lay down my own life. You, you don't take it from me. I do it because that's what I need to do. Humility, intentionality built into sacrifice. And then finally, being a real man involves commitment. Love, sacrifice, commitment. And don't put your papers away and pack up just yet. I used to teach sophomores in high school. They would look at the clock. It would get close to time when the bell would ring and I would hear the papers shuffle. And I always made sure that I had something else they had to write down so that I could mess with them. I let them get all their papers put away and here they go. They have to pull it all back out again. So don't do that yet. Commitment, it says here, look with me again in Ephesians chapter 5. In the end of verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water, with the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, talking about Jesus, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
talking here about the commitment that Jesus has to His people, that He treats them as if they were His own body, that He treats the church as if the church is in Him and He is in the church, and He equates that to the love that a man ought to have for his wife, that the man would be so committed to his wife, committed to the oneness, committed to to one flesh ideas, that it says that He would love and be committed as He loves Himself. There are a few guys in this room that when you're hungry, you won't get yourself something to eat. That when you're tired, you won't find a place that you can lay down and go to sleep. That when you're thirsty, you won't find a way to get a drink of water somehow. He's talking about those things, being committed to someone as if you are committed to your own self, that instinctively you do and operate for them just as you would instinctively for yourself. Jesus is committed in a continuing way, not was committed, but is committed to His people, the church, committed to their good, to their holiness, it says to their cleansing. And the commitment of men to their wives here is held to that standard. Again, we're talking about this idea of the standard of Jesus and not the standard of the world. So what does it mean? How was Jesus committed? I'll give you a couple of things underneath that as well. One would be just the word faithfulness. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the writer of Hebrews records that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. He does not change. His commitment does not change. He was committed, is committed, will be committed forever to us, the people of God. And in the same way, if we are to model that commitment that is, that is explained and, and exemplified in Ephesians 5, described later on in Hebrews, then we must be people of faithfulness. Guys, we must be men of faithfulness. Faithfulness to our jobs, faithfulness to our wives, faithfulness to our families, faithfulness, obviously and ultimately, to our Lord. Faithfulness is not something that is promoted in our world today. It's given token appreciation. It's looked at as being unique and sort of weird. But faithfulness is exactly the model that Jesus gave us and the model that we must follow. Not only faithfulness, but the phrase going the extra mile and and beyond. Extra mile and beyond. They're included in commitments. As I mentioned in John 13, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples that would eventually betray Him, deny Him, and run away from Him. He then goes through the, the agony of the cross, the, the, the great celebration that, that was found in the resurrection. And at the very end of the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, John records this interaction between Jesus and Peter, who denied him three times, the last time cursing, using curse words, right? not just taking some kind of vow, but using curse words, saying he did not know Jesus, didn't even know who he was, did not follow him. This interchange in John chapter 21 did not have to happen. Jesus was by no means obligated to go to Peter and restore their relationship. Who should have been the one approaching Jesus? Peter. But, But Jesus, in His commitment to one of His own, goes to Peter, goes the extra mile, sits him down and says, look, let me make sure that you understand it's not over. Let me make sure you understand I still have a plan for you. I still love you. I still care for you. I still have things that I've designed for you. He went the extra mile and beyond in his commitment. It's a surprising interchange. Peter should be the one approaching Jesus to beg for forgiveness. And you see, it's Jesus who calls him over. And in his commitment to Peter goes the extra mile. 
Now, in all of these things, it's not hard to see. It's not difficult to see how the standards and example of Jesus apply in the lives of men. If we are to be held to His standard, if we are to be compared to His example, it's not difficult to see how this applies in a marriage. If you are to be a successful husband, your marriage must be built on love, both emotion and more so on action. It must be built on sacrifice, humility, and intentionality in that sacrifice toward your wife. It must be built on commitment. I read a study once that said that the greatest key to lasting marriage is not love, but commitment. Because sometimes you just flat don't feel in love. But if you are committed, you will stick it out until maybe those feelings of being in love return, and yet at the same time, you will still be committed. Faithfulness, going the extra mile. Well, in parenting, we certainly see that a loving, sacrificial, committed parent are the ones who have the better opportunity to raise children just like them at work. I would imagine that it is rare, fellas, wherever you may work or have worked in the past, it's rare to find someone who is loving toward the people there, both in their emotion and in their action, who is sacrificial, who, who is humble and intentional about that sacrifice, and who's committed in a very faithful and extra mile sort of way. It's not hard to see how this applies to us as men. Obviously, the standard as set by Jesus is much higher than that that is set by society. It's far and away a better and higher standard. Society wants you to have a firm handshake, wants you to be honest, and have a short beard. Society wants you to know some stuff about tools, the car, and the outdoors. Society wants you to be good looking and in great shape, and never age. Society wants all those things for you. That's a really, really low standard. Because all you got to do is go to the gym. All you got to do is read a book. All you got to do is have a little plastic surgery to cover the age or dye your hair or whatever it may be. Pretty simple. Pretty easy. All you got to do is just not shave, you know, about every other day. You'll be okay. You'll look rugged. And everybody will be happy. And you'll get your picture in a magazine as the rugged guy that everybody loves. That's all you got to do. Do you see how low the standard is that's set by society in comparison with the love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the commitment of Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ? That's a standard that is far and away higher and better. Now, with that said, we find it difficult enough to measure up to the society's standards. We find it difficult enough to keep up with all the mixed messages and the pressures and all the expectations. So how in the world, if we're having trouble meeting a low standard, would we meet a much higher standard? And I want you to know, fellas in particular, that my goal here today is not in any way to have you come face to face with this and walk away feeling defeated and it is, well, I'll just shoot for the lower standard because shaving every other day is a whole lot easier than being loving. Because having a firm handshake is something I can tangibly work on rather than, than sacrifice. My goal is not for you to walk away defeated or feeling like you should give up. 
Because in all honesty, let me tell you the truth about the standard of Jesus Christ. Not a single man in this room can achieve it. Not a single one of us has what it takes within us, in our own strength, in our own power, to achieve that standard. You cannot do it. It cannot be done. If it could be done, Jesus living a perfect life and dying on a cross for sinful people was a waste. It cannot be done in our own strength. The only way that we will ever achieve the standard and example of Jesus Christ is to get lost in Jesus Christ alone. Not by trying harder, not by setting a new schedule, not by shaving every other day, but to find ourselves only in Jesus Christ, submitting completely to Him to say, I know I'm not the man that I need to be, and I know you're the only way that I can get there. That's it. And that, in and of itself, ought to be great, great news. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, tells the people that are listening, whoever is weary and heavy laden, he says, if you're, if you're beaten down by the expectations of society, and fellas, today, if you look at all those things and say, I can't live up, Jesus says in response to that, come to me. He says, he says speaking of himself, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and what? I will give you not more burdens, not more stuff to carry around, not a more difficult life, but he says, I will give you rest. If you're tired, if you're worn out, the last thing you need is more stuff to carry around. What you need is rest. And he says, take my yoke, my burdens upon you, carry my life around, he says, and it is easy and it is light. Why? Because Jesus who lives inside of you, as you yield to him and submit to him each day, as you simply give your life over to Him to be found only in Him and say, you take control, He does it for you. Does that mean you are just sort of a passenger? No. But He empowers you, enables you, enlightens you, helps you to live that sort of life. So guys, here's the deal. If you walk away today feeling a more heavy burden than you walked in with, you have not heard the words of Jesus Christ. You have heard more words of society, more pressure. You've not understood the heart that I hope that you understand today. Because Jesus says you can exchange all that stuff that's weighing you down, all those expectations that are so heavy on you, that make you so frustrated and depressed, you can exchange all that for a light burden that is fit just for you and fun to carry around. And you can do that, the Bible says, not through your own strength, not through just being a better man, whatever that means, but through the strength and power of Jesus Christ living inside of you and living through you. And the, the only way to make that happen is to surrender. To throw your hands in the air and say, God, I give up. And I want that exchange. I want your burden. I want to be free. I want to be light. And I'll do whatever it takes. And the only thing it takes is for you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, surrendering to Him and saying, you do it for me. You make me that kind of man. Because at our core, was built into us to desire as men to be the ideal man. And Jesus shows us the example, love, sacrifice, commitment. But it's only through His power that we can achieve this. And so, fellas, I, I guess my question is, will you today make that exchange? Will you give up the pressures of society Will you give up whatever it is you've thought is the ideal man and receive from Jesus the strength and the enabling power to truly 
be the man that He created you to be. It's as simple as saying, I surrender. I believe in you. And I want you to live in and through me. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't be that kind of man on your own. And at the same time, and in comparison in a very real way, all of us, not just the men, all of us will be measured and compared by the standard and example of Jesus Christ one day when we stand before the Lord. And some of us will respond to the Lord in that day, well, God, I tried to do really good. I feel like I had a pretty good life. I feel like I did a lot of really good things, and I think that everything was all right. And God will respond, as He's already done in His Word, you didn't meet the standard of Jesus Christ. What's the standard? Absolute perfection. Whether you're a perfectionist or not, you're not perfect. And so we must be covered by the one who is perfect. We must be found only in the one who is perfect, not standing on our own in our imperfection, though we try hard. But the Bible makes it clear that the only way that we can be made whole and made righteous and made perfect is through Jesus Christ alone. God's grace is free. Jesus went freely to the cross and offers it freely today. Free salvation, free forgiveness, a free place, a secure place in heaven forever with Him, and a free life as God has designed it to be. And it comes only through faith. It comes only through believing. And that's how imperfect people are declared to be righteous before God. When they receive the grace, the free gift, and say, yes, I place my faith and my trust in you. I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the only way for salvation. So what will you believe today? Will you believe that? Men, will you believe society? Will you believe Jesus Christ? Will you yield to society's pressures or will you take on the light burden that's found in Jesus? I want to pray specifically for the guys this morning that are here. I realize that many of us are frustrated, disappointed, discouraged, hurting, broken, and we have very few opportunities to admit that. We have very few safe places to say, that's me. Here's what I'd like to do. I am in no way going to call you out and ask you to come to the microphone and have open mic time here at the end of the service so that you can express all of your brokenness to everybody here. I'm a guy. I get it. But I want to be able just to pray for you and make myself available, though I'm not perfect, to you in a way that you say, you know what, at least I've got somebody I can talk to and we can work through some of these things. And I can understand more of the life that God wants for me. So I want to do two things. They'll both be very easy and very simple and very painless. In just a minute, I'm going to pray for you specifically. And I'll, I'll ask you to, to acknowledge that you need prayer in those areas to be that real man. And then secondly, I, I want you to know that, that you can find our contact information both in the bulletin on our website. And you feel free. Contact me. I'd love to grab coffee with you, grab lunch with you, take you out to breakfast, whatever it may be. And just say, hey, how can we work through this together? How can we both become the men that God has designed us to be? How can we be that for our families, for our, for our children, for our wives, for, for our jobs, for whomever it may be? So I'd like for all of us, if, you, if you're not a praying person, please just, just, for the sake of the guys here, if you would 
close your eyes in this moment, and, and I want to give the fellows that are here, young, old, in between, married, unmarried, parents, not parents, any stage of life, whatever you may be, I want to give you the opportunity to just in a very simple way acknowledge I need prayer in this area of my life. I realize God has spoken to me today. Would you pray for me specifically? I won't call your name. I won't mention a situation you're going through, even if I know about it. But in this moment, if you're one of those fellows and you say, you know what, would you just pray for me? All I would ask is that you lift your eyes, make eye contact with me, and when I look at you, feel free to put your head right back down and just acknowledge, would you pray for me? Lord, our society has taught us a lot of things about men. We have a lot of broken men because of that. Lord, we're frustrated, we're disappointed, we know there's more. We know this is not the life that we are to live. We know there's more for you. And so, God, today I pray for the men that have acknowledged this morning, I want that life. I need prayer. I need God's help. I pray, Lord, today would not be just an emotional response, but we want of action. Lord, that they would move in a real way towards surrendering their lives completely to Jesus Christ in such a way that you would live through them and empower them to be men of love, men of sacrifice, men of commitment. Lord, I pray that you'd restore those broken hearts. I pray that you'd help us to forgive. I pray that you'd help us to repent. I pray that you'd give us a soft place to land when we ask questions and talk to someone. And God, I pray that you'd help us each day to be reminded of, of our standard as Jesus Christ, not what the world says, but Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for the power to live as you have called us and created us to live. God, I pray that you make the men in this room great men, great husbands, great fathers, great grandfathers, great friends, great workers, great employers. But not great in the eyes of the world, but great in your sight through simply following and living out the standard and example of Jesus Christ. Lord, may that be so in our lives today. I pray, Lord, for those who need to be bold and humble, all at the same time to say, I, I need some help. Would you... Would you grab lunch with me? Would you have coffee? Whatever it may be. Or to go to someone in this room and say, I know you're a godly man. Would you help me? Now, don't let us leave here today without having made some solid decisions. But I do pray for the women in this room as well who are married to or mothers of or grandmothers of or friends of or prospective wives of, of men. And I pray that those women would join in your effort. Lord Jesus, to see men become those who follow the example of Jesus, who live by the standards of Jesus. Remind them to pray. Remind them to encourage, to extend grace to the men of their lives. That it is a privilege to be here this morning, to hear your truth, both its challenge and its encouragement. And we surrender to you today. And we ask you to live through us and make us who you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name.